same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. There's kind of those days where you're like, yeah, I'll be on video chat, like whether it be for like work or something. And then days yeah. where you're like, I'm just going to hide. <laughs> yes. Welcome to ABC Adopted Babies from China. Today I am speaking with Alia. I had recorded with Alia and on Somewhere in Between podcast before, and I completely messed up her name for probably most of the recording until the very end. I listened back and I was like, oh, I actually got it right. But I yeah, I was like, I don't remember you saying it wrong. Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I was just. It must have been before we recorded where I completely said your name wrong. So that was good. I think because I think we were um, just talking and like I, I remember you asking me. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Because you knew Maya already. So. Right. Well, welcome, mm-hmm. Alia, to Adopted Babies from China. You are an adopted baby from China. And I thought it was really interesting when we spoke one on one. I'll let you share more of your background because that is a little bit, I want to say it's a little bit more unique than everybody else's story and the (laughs) mainly like transracial part of it I mean they're they're still transracial of course in your story but yeah I'll let you share your story please go ahead yeah it's kind of an interesting one I always forget sometimes that it's not usual to people and they ask about my story and they're like oh that's really I've never heard that before I'm like oh yeah I guess that I guess that is it's like when you live it it doesn't feel the same it's just like yeah this is just my everyday Basically, I was adopted by a Chinese mother and a Pakistani father. So I kind of grew up in still that like that mixed mixed Asian culture. And I got a little bit of the Chinese background, but also, you know, balancing that with the Pakistani background and growing up in a very um, white area in uh, New Jersey. So kind of mixing all the cultures and balancing what I could or couldn't do and what felt right with me was always just a it was like a juggling act of okay am I going to be this person today or am I going to follow like this today and that was definitely like a struggle growing up where in China are you adopted from I'm adopted from uh Shaoyang in Hunan province okay and were you a baby or a little bit older yeah I was um apparently I was found a few weeks after I was born so they just estimated my birthday and they said it's supposedly found on the steps of a bank. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't really trust the accuracy of those stories. And I was adopted at 18 months. 18 months. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, so still and relatively then, young. Yes, that is still relatively young. I, I, I know people say 18 months, and I was like, actually, that is a, a little bit over a year because people say 15 months. I'm like, that's still a little bit over a year. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering if babies are ever adopted less than a year old. Yeah, I think um, we've de- I've definitely talked to some people who were adopted at like five months old. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. I guess okay. it really just depends on timing of when they can contact who your, your adoptive parents or if just like if there's someone there ready to take you. Oh, I see. That's cool. Okay. I did not know that. I, I'm not sure if I've spoken with anybody who is less than 12 months. I would have to really think back on it. I mean, I've spoken with about 13, 14 people so far, so I can't say. Yeah, after a while, it's like a blur. <laughs> yes. Well, I know it's 
I still feel strongly everybody does have their own unique story, of course. And I, yeah. I wouldn't want to say it's unusual. That feels like there's a negative connotation to your story. I think it's actually even cooler. Like it makes it even more unique in its own way that like you have a Chinese mother and a Pakistani father and a brother who's also Pakistani, right? Yep. He's adopted yeah. from Pakistan. Yeah. So I was like, oh my goodness, it's even cooler. I really want to ask more about this. And then I thought that also really supported more of the core premise of this podcast which is you are an adopted baby from China still and then it's like mm -hmm. yes you do have the transracial aspect in a different way but it's still like a really cool I want to say a cool thing <laughs> is it okay if I ask a little bit about your relationship with your mother now has that ever oh, I don't know how to word that question because it's it's almost like tell me more about having a Chinese mother essentially <laughs> so Growing up, um, my mom and I didn't really have the best relationship. Just our personalities, we tended to butt heads a lot. And it was funny because I kind of did have the like Asian tiger mom in a way. Um, so she was very strict with me. Uh, she really was like looking back, I know she was just trying to push me to be the best that I can be and really go to my limits instead of just letting myself just do what's easy or whatever I just like wanted to do and at the time I was like oh I hate this so much like I like all my friends have this freedom they get to do this this and this and like I have to go through these different things of asking permission proving that like yes I did my homework um, I'm gonna be, get good grades like I promise and <laughs> just all of that stuff it was definitely rough and I remember one time I got my first B and I just like broke down crying because I had to get my report card signed at the end of the semester uh, by my parents. And I was like freaking out, unsure what to do. And I like snuck it so that my father would just sign it. He didn't bother looking. <laughs> and then my mom eventually found out and she's like, just sign something without looking. <laughs> she was, she was like so annoyed with my father, but then she was also like, Alia, it's fine. Like, it's not that serious. So, and then as I got older, she kind of eased up on me a bit and started to see me more for who I am and like what interests I have and really like what quality like qualities I tend towards mm -hmm. and letting me kind of grow that on my own right when we're younger a lot of a lot of times our parents have these expectations and a lot of stuff or mistakes they made when they were growing up they, they don't want their children to do either or do as well they treat their kids with a little bit higher expectation I want to say and then as we get older it's mm -hmm. like oh you guys are becoming your own individuals too and the mistakes you're going to make you have to learn on your own as well so it's almost like we love you and <laughs> we want you to make your own mistakes so we're not going to be as harsh yeah but I think many children feel the same way as like as when they're younger that they have to be really good and not <laughs> make a mistake and so I think there's yeah. some truth to that. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's also, um, as you mentioned, like parents are just trying to look for the best, look out for the best for us. And it's kind of that balance of they really just want to make us into a good person. So they're trying to guide us. But sometimes by guiding us they're they take away your own choice and decision. And from what I've learned in psychology, that just never really works well for people. You'll always have opposition mm -hmm. unless you kind of really explain it and kind of guide the person into making that decision themselves right. um, and I noticed like as you know you get older it kind of becomes more of that relationship of like here's you know what I think you should do and here's why but it's up to you to make that decision because I feel like at some point you kind of just realize 
you know what, this kid is old enough, like they are not going to listen to me. There's no point in me just trying to force it. Like they make their own decisions. I don't have control over them. I can just educate them. Right. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So your name, Alia, is that, Mm -hmm. what's the origin of Alia, the name? So it's Arabic. It's based, it's the female version of Ali, the prop, uh, based after the prophet. If I remember correctly, it means um, heavenly one, uh, closest to God, lofty, like up in the clouds kind of thing. And then my last name in Arabic means good friend, like best friend. So I remember making the joke of like, oh, I'm God's best friend (laughs) that he ignores. (laughs) That he ignores. That's really fascinating. I guess that also brings in the idea, the concept and practice of religion too, because your father is Pakistani and so is your brother uh, adopted from Pakistan. And so growing up, were you exposed to both religion with Pakistan and well, I don't know if your mother practiced as well, any sort of religion, but yeah. It was kind of on my mom's side, cultural, uh, how to explain it? Just like cultural tendencies that we would do so whether it be like when we visit my grandparents graveyard there's a certain thing we do of you know we burn the money we like bow three times in front of the grave like you say a certain thing in Cantonese for them and just like we would just follow those practices Uh, but there's never really like a religious aspect to it it was just it was just all purely cultural for my father however it was religious and cultural so we still had like the just cultural tendencies and uh, the same way that we did with my mom's side, but then it was also with the added uh, religion. So for me, that meant growing up and having to learn how to read the Quran in Arabic. Mm. Now, whether I fully understood it, not really. It was kind of just learning to read Arabic, but not fully understand Arabic. Right. It was kind of this thing you have to do it twice. And at the end, once you complete it, complete like the whole book reading through twice in Arabic, you have something called an Amin. It's almost like... Um, like when you finish with the Torah and you have a bar mitzvah okay. that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I did grow up with that. And we always used to joke in the family that my brother and I got swapped because <laughs> he was in Pakistan. He was born in Pakistan, but he actually tended Chinese side at first oh. and was born in, in China. But I, I grew up really loving Bollywood, like Pakistani clothing, all of that. Like I would always be a, Arabian or like Pakistani Indian princess for Halloween because I loved just wearing the clothing. Right, that's really fascinating. How how much older is your brother? He is uh, seven, eight years older. Oh, okay. So there's a pretty significant divide, I would say, eight years. <laughs> Very much so, but it kind of works and didn't work. My brother, even though he is older, he's a little more mentally younger. Mm. So like we could get along, um, and then you know, typical sibling rivalry. But he actually introduced me into a lot of things that I love today, like video games, anime. Like, he got me into my favorite, favorite video game series, Legend of Zelda. Ah. Yeah. I feel like that's a throwback. Uh, Did you play that on the N64 or what game system? I remember vaguely playing it on the N64 because I remember, I forget which game it was, but the first time he let me play, I found out that you could lift up a pig. And so I picked up this pig ran to the top of a hill and just threw him off. <laughs> and that was like my first experience with Zelda. And I was like, wow, this is fun. And then I actually started like playing the game more. Okay. Um, and then it was a while till like we really touched it again. 
uh, until the DS Lite came out, and he had gotten one, um, and he started. He also got, I think, the first game I played on there was Ocarina of Time. So he got that. He started playing it, and he was like, "Oh, you might like this a lot." Once, so he let me play it, and then I kind of just took it over completely. I was like, "This is mine now. This is my game now." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, I I don't think I even know what the DS Lite is or that game. I I'm familiar with N64, so I guess that ages me just a hair, but not too much. So it's like I remember no, growing no, up with. Not too much at all. I remember growing up with N64 and like Mario Party and. Yeah, I'm like just a touch '90s kid, mainly because of my brother, and he mainly had like, your brother. he had the Game Boy Color and everything. He had GameCube, so you graduated from undergrad recently, right? But mm-hmm. how long ago? Yeah, I was supposed to be a spring 2020 grad, but I was like, no, I want to get out of college now. <laughs> so I, um, I think one semester I ended up taking like 21, 22 credits, just so I could finish early in fall 2019. I guess that works out too because spring twenty twenty sort of disappeared. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't really want to go to my graduation anyways. Um, I go to a commuter school, and because it's in New York City, you don't really have a graduation on your campus. We have it in the Barclays Center, which is nice, oh. but it's thousands of people, so you don't really get your name fully read, and you're just waiting there for hours. And I was like, I'd rather just go out for like breakfast dinner lunch or something with friends and family and right. just enjoy it that way okay so you you went to a commuter school in new york city and you lived in new york city right mm-hmm. well you live in new york city now too <laughs> you li- you grew up in new jersey and then you went to school in new york but you lived in new york while you're going to school right mm-hmm. oh yeah okay. i i moved to brooklyn to go to brooklyn college and so i was here about a month and a half before college actually started just to kind of get used to living on my own as well as living in the city because prior to that we always came into the city because I have a lot of family in the city I have um, some family in Chinatown some family in Queens Long Island Um, my father has a business here in Brooklyn so I was often in the city and the summer before my senior year I spent that time working at the business and on the weekends I was allowed to be here and just explore the city on my own Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I got like a little flavor. And when I was um, choosing my college, I was like, you know what? I really want to be in a city. I want to be somewhere where it's very diverse because where I grew up, there's like minimal diversity. Right. I think there's only one other family that was Muslim in my school. Mm, Um, Okay. And then I think in my grade, there was like, you could count the number of Asians under like on two hands, I think. So I definitely wanted something much different from that. And I knew cities had that and it ended up coming between Boston University and Brooklyn College two very different schools yeah (laughs) but I just went with Brooklyn College because I figured to myself I was like you know what I don't know if I want to go to grad school not really exactly sure what I want to do I don't want to be in student debt and you're you're living in Brooklyn now I didn't even mention that too but Alia is the reason that I've discovered so much of New York Brooklyn Manhattan border (laughs) I should say with discovering the area too so yeah I'm glad I could like tell you about certain places because from the time that I've spent like walking around I really like when uh, you can find hidden gems and like share that with people and I also didn't realize that Manhattan Bridge had a pedestrian walkway as well and Williamsburg I was like oh these have pedestrian walkways oh I'm all over that I finished my I guess I should say the main bridges to Manhattan from Brooklyn runs I know that's crazy to me that you like ran that far I can barely run like a mile (laughs) 
and well pandemic it's a good time to definitely run and I go early enough that I don't see a lot of people either so that makes it even better mm. oh yeah and then like because it's summer it makes it it's a lot cooler too at that it's time a, yes oh no we're entering into the point where the weather is amazing where it's not too hot not too cold yes. it's that nice comfortable temperature the the other night I actually went and ran to the Brooklyn Bridge Park not mm-hmm. the Dumbo side but the other side and I watched the sunset oh. from there. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I did yeah. stand for a long time to get a time lapse of that. It it's definitely it. really gorgeous watching it from the bridges because you kind of see it set behind Lady Liberty, yes. Governor Island. It's just, it's stunning. It's beautiful. I'll probably do that again and go see maybe on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge where Dumbo is because then you would see it behind the Brooklyn Bridge. Kind and then you can walk the pier. The pier is really nice. Yes, the pier is beautiful. Oh my gosh, because that's where I was. I was up here too, where the roller rink is. Mm-hmm. Battery Park, where it has the um, sea glass carousel. These are great places you should go see in New York if you visit everybody as we go yeah. on a little tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but it is wonderful to meet people and then learn about New York through them too. That's definitely one of the beauties of the city is there's people from so many different backgrounds places and we all kind of come to this place just to experience it I'm curious I know we were talking about names earlier and I'm gonna bring up names again but do you have a like a Mandarin name or I guess Cantonese name by chance too so I actually have two I have the one that was written on my birth certificate or whatever that like the paper that they give you from the adoption Uh and that is Xiao Ji Xiao for coming from Xiaoyang a well, I was reading up on that's how they kind of name you. They always give you the name of the town. Mm-hmm. And then G meaning, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> I have to look back and see what that is. Because uh, I never really used that. And it's something I didn't really look at or find out until maybe four or five years ago when my mom, I asked my mom for the papers and she showed them to me and I saw this name and I was like, oh, I knew I had a second name. And the, my mom used to say it meant little pearl, but I think I looked it up and it was nothing like that. Oh, okay. I keep thinking chicken, but I'm not sure if G is chicken. I would have to look that up too. It's like G. Yeah, I think it's a different one. I, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> but the main one I go by is Ailien, which means uh, lovely lotus, or you know, if you take it directly, love lotus. Um, so oh, I've yeah. always really liked that just because it sounds kind of similar to my my name. Yeah. As well as I just love the meaning. And for me, I've always just found a nice a tie to nature and flowers and also just the lotus. I actually have a tattoo of a lotus on my back because I love the kind of symbolism of it, how it grows from mud out of the darkness and up the light. And it's it's such a thin, small plant when it's growing and it's based on something so small, but it, it still has the strength to hold itself up and climb up there. And for me, that meant a lot coming from um, a background where I did have a lot of struggles with mental health. Those are all beautiful names. All three of your (laughs) names are really beautiful. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. I I haven't really asked people about their names before. They're, I guess they're like birth name. I'm putting quote unquote Mm -hmm. birth name. But I was thinking about it recently because I'm named after the Mid-Autumn Festival. Like my name is Jong Cho which is exact it translates to mid-autumn and so it's like you have the mid-autumn festival Zhong Chou Kwai Le so like it'll probably have passed by the time we I released this episode but I thought it was very fascinating like I should ask people more about their names and how they relate to it our surname Shen I believe Mm -hmm. is actually 
what we've been told is after, I guess, a huge donor to the welfare center that we're from. Oh, because okay. I was like, oh, I guess it's not the town. So Shen is the surname of the donor. And because of this individual, I was able to get an operation on my cleft palate as a baby. Oh. That's the interesting part of, is this really true? Or is this what they just tell you? Mm-hmm. So the, my whole entire name is Shen Zhongqiu or Zhongqiu. I always mispronounce it, and then usually Chinese individuals will correct me, but that's okay. I, I don't mind. They know what I it's mean. Fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you're getting it close enough, and especially yes. since we don't really speak the language, is good enough. <laughs> oh, yes. Learning a new language, and I don't know if you speak Cantonese or Arabic in addition to English. Do you, actually? It's like a complex thing. My mom sent me to Chinese school to learn Mandarin, mm. but my family speaks Cantonese. So I didn't really have anyone to practice with, and I kind of just ended up losing that. Mm. My father's family speaks Urdu slash Punjabi. You know, they sent me to learn the Quran in Arabic. So again, I didn't really like pick up on much of that. But the only thing consistent was Spanish in school. So my Spanish is better than both of the other languages. (laughs) (laughs) But I can understand when people say stuff just from being around them for so long. I think that's a big thing, too, is a lot of people feel very insecure I want to say, I shouldn't speak generalizing, but I think it's true. A lot of people will express insecurity when it comes to language. And I have found when you Mm. try and if it's pronounced incorrectly, honestly, it's not a bad thing. If they can understand the gist of what you're trying to say, they actually want to help you and they'll correct you, but they want to help you. And then they'll usually Mm. respond and it's like, oh yeah, this is why, or this is, this is what it actually sounds like. I'm like, oh, perfect. At least you knew what I was saying. So I'm more than happy. That's how I feel about manner, and I will speak it when I can, and then they'll correct me. But they they also know it's like, oh, you're not originally like you're not a Chinese citizen. I was like, oh no, not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed to get to the bus, so I'm really I'm okay with this conversation <laughs> by all means. Yeah. So yeah, language is another. Everybody shares differently their opinions. I definitely relate <laughs> to the insecurity aspect. I remember when I was in Chinese school, it felt so weird to me because all the kids there had fully Chinese families and they'd come out of Chinese school and just speak it to their families. Like their mom would pick them up and I just hear them versus the time where my mom and I actually tried to practice together. I said something to her in Mandarin and she just looked at me and she said something to me in Cantonese and we just stared at each other for a solid minute and we're like, how do we do this? And I just felt so uncomfortable to like reach out to my peers there because it just felt so different and when you're a kid it's like it's hard to convey these things um so I actually I like most kids ended up really hating Chinese school and then growing up I wanted to try to re like come in touch with that again and I was thinking about doing it in college but what kind of held me back is I felt very insecure about being in a class learning Chinese in college and being you know a Chinese like of Chinese birth Uh And I know like it probably wouldn't be that bad and people wouldn't really be judging the way I thought that they would, but I just couldn't get myself to feel comfortable with it. Um, I think because there also were so many native Chinese speakers at my college. So I was like, oh man, like it just kind of felt almost like a fraud at some times. It's tough because I I can definitely relate on that feeling. And I'm sure many people can about going to Chinese school and not feeling like, oh, I can't really speak this. And all these people or these other kids have their moms and dads who are Chinese or like they speak mm-hmm. Mandarin very fluently and 
I think that's a really good reason to have podcasts like this one and the one that you also co-host somewhere in between, which is geared towards all Asian adoptees, because it starts a conversation that I think is really important to have with kids when they're younger, too, is it's okay to be different from everybody else. I mean, your family just is a little bit different than everybody else, and that's more than okay. I would say this is probably where I would take a break. I spoke with a Chinese adoptee male, Ben, and we got into the conversation when he was like a child of five years old, essentially, to other people because he has two dads. He shared a lot about that experience and how having that conversation with students, his peers, and their families, it became more understanding. And it's like, oh, we need to have more of that. I think it's it should be more yeah. that kids, starting at the age of five, you can have that conversation with your peers and not get confused looks so that I'm sure all those peers that he knew, as they got older too, it's easier to facilitate that conversation. Having these podcasts really helps drive that conversation and brings more, mm. normalizes it too. It's kind of that circular logic of, well, you don't want to put a spotlight on the fact that it's unique but it is unique but if we put a spotlight on it it's allowing other people to hear and listen or learn from this too and so then their children or other young people they interact with will then also be aware it's kind of like the beauty of having I guess like a niche group in that there's this shared commonality where you just kind of understand each other whether it be something like adoption or just be like a a show that everyone likes or you know a a music artist that everyone likes and you just have like this connection already and you get to hear everyone else's stories and their experiences and really feel like you're not alone and Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's a really important part of it especially when you mentioned like normalizing it where we can normalize that these feelings are normal they're natural it's okay you don't need to feel ashamed you don't need to feel guilty or worried like this is just what happens and it's not the reality mm-hmm. and kind of just becoming comfortable with this is your this is your story and this is your truth and there's nothing about it that needs to have these strong emotions tied to it you don't need to feel kind of like you have to hide it in school and like not mention it or you know push certain parts down oh yeah And that's the same conversation with, so I'm going to bring Black Lives Matter up too, because I I definitely agree. And I think it's been happening already, which I predicted was that like Black Lives Matter movement still has its very strong core influence, but it seems Mm. slowly it's kind of lessened a little bit or they're not putting as much attention toward it anymore. Hopefully that's still out here by the time I release this. Otherwise I sound very arrogant in that sense. The point I was making there is with, Like people of color, they feel they can't act a certain way because they're going to be targeted. And it's almost Mm. like that conversation can be, we can relate to that too in a different way, not to the same level, I want to say. Being a person of color, they have more fear and there's more negative stereotypes directed towards them versus I feel like Asian Americans or Asians, Asian Canadian, all Asians. We don't have that as strong of like a negative feeling about who we are yeah yeah I definitely agree especially because as you mentioned like it there is such a huge fear for your own life versus our experience it doesn't really become that extreme 
most of the time. I think the closest we've kind of come is with this coronavirus pandemic and all of these hate crimes, these physical acts of violence towards Asians. And that really, I think, allowed a lot of people to connect more with the Black Lives Matter movement because they're like, oh, you know, like I actually kind of understand. And I just got like a tiny taste of it, of that, Mm -hmm. what it's like to go out and be like, oh God, like, is someone going to hate on me just for the way I look and, you know, physically hurt me? And I think it just, while these experiences are absolutely terrible, but I think sometimes they're necessary to really understand the other person and see why they feel the way they feel, you know? Because so many people can just paint it as, oh, they're, they're like, people say like, oh, this is laziness or, oh, you're just making excuses and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not actually the true reality and all that other stuff. But in truth, it is the reality. And yes, there is a certain amount that is in your hands that you can control, but so much of it isn't. And from the start, it's just out of your control. Like, you can't control where you're born, who you're born as, what kind of um, family status you're born into. Right. And that definitely guides a lot of your life. Everybody comes to terms with their own identity in their own way, no matter what you look like and who you are. I mean, it's yeah. ultimately, who do you want to be? I feel like I'm an advertisement for, like, an inspirational <laughs> poster. But, you know, like with the little cat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's ultimately who you want to be and what you want to contribute. I feel like that's the, the core of it. Yeah, definitely. In relation to China and where you are from, have you been back or do you just want to go back to China? What are your thoughts? I think this was in 2008. My family actually did take a small trip to China. It was my mom, my father, my brother, and my aunt. We all went back uh, and we kind of did a tour of China. It was mainly southern China, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, I don't remember the exact towns and like, like cities, but I got to see a little bit of that. And I even got to see a little bit of uh, Tibet before it really became mm. under like China's control fully. It was starting to at that time, but right. it, was, it wasn't quite yet. So I was still able to like visit and kind of see their culture before it kind of gets crushed. So I have been back, but I was so young that I don't remember a whole lot of it. And I think it just doesn't, it just hits differently And for me, I really want to go back to the place that I was born, whether it be at the time trying to, you know, search for my birth family or just going back to kind of see what my life would have been like and kind of connect with this, I guess, other timeline that just didn't come to be. Mm -hmm. And something just feels like it's kind of like a piece of my puzzle that I need to experience. And it's something that I've wanted to like once I was older old enough and mature enough to do that and to go back with someone like either my mother or a significant other to just have that emotional support because I have a feeling that I'm going to really need it so I really hope to do that one day I was actually thinking of doing that after college but I realized I was like I don't think it's the right time and then COVID so and then COVID yes (laughs) yeah Uh, it's like an avatar where like everything was fine until the fire nation attacked Yes. Everything oh, yes. was fine until COVID hit the world. That makes me think of like Legend of Korra, which I just started watching for the first time. And I'm like, whoa, it's a, <laughs> it's another level. Have you seen Legend of Korra? I have. I definitely really prefer um, Avatar The Last Airbender. 
just because I don't like Cora as a person. <laughs> she literally just screws over everyone. <laughs> yes. I was actually having that conversation with Katie, who I talk about on the podcast too, and who who comes in and is a huge supporter of this too. But I was like, you know, I'm not loving, and I don't think it's really spooling anything because like right away, it's pretty apparent as a female lead. It's great to have a female lead in that kind of capacity, but she's also yeah. very selfish. Yeah. Like I wasn't say selfish, but it's also like very loud and abrupt. Mm, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I can sort of see it too. It's like, okay, I know I, I have those tendencies, but it's like, oh man, to see it projected in this sort of context, it's almost... And then like you have the original Avatar, Aang, who is the complete opposite in that personality. And I was like, what the yeah. heck? It doesn't seem like there's like much good about her. Like Katara as a female like main character mm. was done really well. Of Like you saw that balance of, you know, her childish sides, but then you also see her maturity and you kind of, watch her grow but I feel like Cora just doesn't grow and you only see the immaturity yes and she's a lot old he's older than what Aang was when he had to deal with this that's right so final question is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or other people where adoption has been a big part of their life hmm that's an interesting one I think it'd be really interesting to kind of hear from older adoptees mainly because uh, a lot of us have just hit you know adulthood especially for Chinese adoptees since it didn't start until you know like the early 80s so they've only just hit like 30s that like millennial time where they're approaching bigger life decisions like having kids or you know getting a house and all this like adult stuff right and I think it'd be really interesting to hear from them what their path has been like when it comes to just growing up and getting past certain feelings you have towards adoption, as well as how you feel about going into your adult life, whether what your decision about like having kids is like or not having kids, adopting, not adopting, um, mm. explaining that to, you know, your family like your children or your your significant other's family like kind of just addressing the way adoption continues in your life and as you get older is it easier or is it just as hard or kind of Mm. like how do you how do they find their peace with that for me it feels like there's like always a hole in my story that I just don't know um and that's why I kind of want to go back to like add to some of that and then I know the rest has to be a hole filled by me because mm-hmm. I have nothing to go on to find my birth parents. So unless DNA gets really advanced, but I don't know if I want China to have my DNA. That's a very good thought process. And that's actually sort of the origin of why I started this, because I keep saying I'm one of the older adoptees, which I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I'm by the time this comes out, I have turned 27, everybody. So it's like being 27, I think that is considered, I want to say like older adoptees, Chinese adoptees specifically, I want to say starts at like 25. So like 25 and up. But I can share, I think the biggest thought that I, I don't think it was shared with me, but I kind of discovered on my own is a lot of expectations out there seem to influence the decisions you'll make. So when mm-hmm. I 
went to school. I went to university. I got a degree. And then I immediately started working after four years of working in that area that I wasn't really happy. I was really passionate about it. And I was mm-hmm. doing the work because I know that was the expectations. Like you get a job, you become financially stable, but I wasn't happy. So then I left. I was forced out. I'm going to be honest. I was fired from a position that I was in for about four months which then led me on this big journey of sort of becoming more in tune with my identity of myself and who I want to be. Because Mm -hmm. with adoption, I would say my understanding of that and really coming at peace to an extent was three years ago when I went back to China. And then when I stopped working in marketing and was like, you know what, I'm going to go do what I would like to do. I've always been drawn towards the arts, the creative industry, I'm now going to commit to that. And so I pretty much have started over. And then, of course, COVID, I'm being pushed back even more. And there's a lot of external expectations from family that it's like you should be in a job where you are get be able to be really financially secure and stable and all this other stuff. And I was like, well, why mm-hmm. would I follow a pathway that made me really unhappy? And moving to New York, why would I then rejoin that pathway that seems to be counter- intuitive to why I made the move. Thinking of adoption too, I think ultimately find what's going to make you happy and know that adoption is always going to be a part of who you are, no matter what, it's not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sort of what we're, what we were talking about earlier that, I mean, it's who we are. It's not something we have control over and we can't, we can be upset about it sometimes, but at the same time I've come to understand more and it's made it a lot easier that, Adoption is part of who I am. Being Chinese is definitely part of who I am. I love the fact that I'm Chinese. I know when we were kids, it was like, oh, the squinty eyes and whatever. It's like, actually, that makes us even more beautiful than you would think. I mean, that's a new trend. People are trying, they they do try to do that with the cat eye. They, yeah, they're trying to like, see, all all this eye makeup, it like goes in trends. And right now, the trend is to like mimic our almond eyes. Yes. I was like, oh, okay, now it's pretty. It's like, it's always been pretty, everybody. It's not just how it is. And that took some time to obviously come with that. And I feel like as you get older, in my personal view, is it gets a lot easier. I feel like as you get older, you care less, one. And two, Mm -hmm. you come to appreciate and value what's important to you as a person. Because that's going to be different for everybody. I mean, what you value as your priorities and what's important are probably different from what I might value. We might have some similarities, but at the end of the day, it's like there's these little things that are going to be a little bit different. In terms of kids, I keep joking and I still stand by this. I would love to have some Blasian babies. <laughs> Is it going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be nice to have my own children. I think the experience of it's almost kind of like I've thought about it a little bit. It's like it'd be interesting to just experience being pregnant if I can, because there's also mm-hmm. the question of, and I, don't want to like instill any fear but it's like how do I even know if I'm able to have children there's no there's no history that I can go on that says oh you're able to have children or you're not and I'm just becoming a little bit more a little less concerned about it it's like if it's going to happen it's going to happen I don't want to force it either I'm not in any stable sort of significant other type relationship right now so it's like I can't even think about it really (laughs) (laughs) I agree I think Even I personally want to hear from other Chinese adoptees who are 25 and above. Yeah, that would be my little 
sidebar but tangent mm-hmm. as well <laughs> about being mm-hmm. an older older adoptee quote unquote I think for me that kind of wanting that comes from as you mentioned like being on this like doing a podcast and talking with different people like the exposure is almost like therapy in a way where you get to hear other people's stories and connect and you're like oh you know like as we said before that's not just me or oh that's like I really like the point that you made or you know kind of how you think about things I was recently speaking with a Korean adoptee Rachel she's over 30 years old and just hearing about kind of the emotional journey she's taken to address the adopted part of herself and kind of comfort it and be compassionate to was really interesting to me and how she viewed adoption being able to kind of connect her in ways to other people and as I was thinking about it I'm like you know what it actually has it's created so many connections for me you know with the adoptee community like meeting people like you and getting to chat with everyone and talk to them on discord or the Facebook groups or zoom calls and connecting with just like the people in my life that you know came into my life because I came here to America and then as she mentioned it too I didn't really think about it this way but when she was having her child she was connecting back to her birth mother Mm. and what her mother must have felt and experienced and you know really understanding no matter what there was you know a pain of loss for the mother as well and that was just really interesting to hear about because I've thought about it but I've never really like deeply deeply thought about it or addressed it that's one of the reasons why I definitely would love to hear from older adoptees I did speak with a Chinese adoptee who's older than myself even named Anna but she she and I spoke a little bit about like being older because she's married and has a stable career and everything going on Uh, and I asked her about kids too which was a fun conversation so you can always (laughs) listen back to that one if you wanted (laughs) this was really nice conversation would you like to share your social media you can find me on Facebook as Alia Siddiqui, or if you want to look for my Instagram, it's nerdy underscore newt underscore newt, nerdy newt newt. It's based on Pengu. <laughs> and if you want to follow the podcast that some friends and I created, it's somewhere between fam. I always like to say goodbye for now, which is accurate. I'm sure goodbye for now. We'll see each other eventually in 3D. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Yes. Perfect. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I had fun chatting with you. You know, like when I first started talking with you on the podcast and I was like, oh, this would be fun to like do the interview because I remember Maya brought it up mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, sure. I-, I guess I'll talk about myself to someone. Yeah. Um, and then chatting with you, I was like, oh, I felt really comfortable. Like this was, it just felt normal. And then the last time we were talking, I think we were just like, oh yeah, we'll only talk for 30 minutes. But then we kind of went longer because it just felt like talking to a friend yes exactly yeah yeah there's a lot of people you'll connect with and then I'm finding not to sound pessimistic or negative but it's like there's some people even in the docu community you may not connect with that's just the reality of it I mean we're all humans (laughs) that's just how people are exactly thank you for listening to ABC if you would like to share your story you can email us at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com We are now on quite a few social media platforms. Primarily, you can listen to us on Apple and Spotify. You can also contact Adopted Babies from China Pod on Instagram, Facebook. Thank you for listening.